0: Hello and welcome to Medico Legal Expert Insight. My name is Jessica, and in this podcast, we interview medical and legal professionals to help connect and understand when, what, why and how both sides interpret the information given to them. The goal is to share expert opinions from both sides of the medico-legal industry. I do want to say a huge thank you to eReports for the support and access to all these incredible experts. So let's get started and connect the dots through conversation. Today, I would like to welcome Leah O'Keefe, Associate in the Dust Diseases and Asbestos Team at Morris Blackburn Lawyers. Leah is going to share some insights on silica and autoimmune cases. We will be discussing the recent change in Victoria's WorkSafe list for silica-related diseases, the experts she engages, and some advice for these Particular medical experts and some challenges when working on these matters. Leah is an approachable and hardworking lawyer who is dedicated to her clients. Leah works closely with sufferers of asbestos-related diseases and their families in order to obtain compensation. Leah joined the Morris Blackburn team as a trainee lawyer in 2014 and was admitted to practice in 2015. She holds a Master's in Law and a Bachelor of Arts with majors in Indonesian and International Studies from Monash University. Leah was at the forefront of advocating and raising awareness for sufferers of silica related diseases, particularly in the context of stone benchtop fabrication. She continues to be dedicated to ensuring access to justice for this vulnerable group faced with entirely preventable silica dust disease. Leah, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jessica. It's great to be here. It is absolute pleasure having you on today. So, Leah, I believe the silica-related diseases has recently been added to Victoria's WorkSafe list. What does this actually mean for your clients?
1: Yeah, that's right, Jessica. So what it actually is, is is a couple of small amendments to the proclaimed diseases list which has not been changed since 1985 Um, so we're very pleased to to see that um, the acknowledgement of um, silica sufferers, silica related disease sufferers um, on this list. Um, What it means is for people that have silicosis and a diagnosis with lung cancer or silicosis and a diagnosis with scleroderma, and I'll explain what each of those are in a minute, Mm. um, their conditions are assumed to be related to work unless work cover can prove that they are not. So it's an acknowledgement that silica-related diseases are almost always caused by work and exposure to silica dust during work to make that pathway for um, an accepted entitlement to a work cover claim a little bit more straightforward um, for those particular workers. Yep. So, um, I, I probably should just give a little bit of information about particularly what scleroderma is because most people have never heard of it. Um, but also just to touch on lung cancer. So, um, uh, lung cancer is, you know, most commonly and readily associated with people that, um, that smoke cigarettes, but it's incredibly strongly linked with exposure to silica dust. Silica is a, um, a really dangerous carcinogen. <laughs> um, and there's likely la- a very long lag time, but we're predicting that we'll see silica-related lung cancer cases rise quite significantly into the future with this group um, or, or a body of people that we've seen over the last few years presenting with silicosis. Um, so that's really scary. Um, yeah, wow. And then sclerosis, yeah, yeah. And I think that's something we really need to be um, quite cognizant of about our clients' um, entitlements because um they might be facing silicosis now but may yet face something really scary in terms of lung cancer into the future I and mean, we need to make sure they're protected in that regard yeah um and then scleroderma is um, a fairly rare autoimmune condition that impacts the connective tissue and most one of the most common presenting symptoms is a phenomenon called Raynaud's um which affects the particularly the fingers and the blood vessels and it's really painful um And really debilitating Um, and it's now increasingly associated along with a raft of autoimmune conditions with exposures to silica dust. So um, for both of those conditions, if you present with that as well as silicosis, then um, the pathway through to an accepted work cover claim will be a little bit straightforward, Mm -hmm. Um, a bit more straightforward I should say. But I just want to be really clear that that doesn't mean that if you, for example, have scleroderma but don't have a diagnosis of silicosis, that you don't have any entitlements. You absolutely um, should investigate uh, whether you have a claim if you've been exposed to silica dust and are diagnosed with any autoimmune condition or lung condition at all. It's really important to, to fully investigate whether you might have entitlements to compensation.
0: Yeah. So a lot of your clients um, that come to you, are they referred from, say, GPs? Because, like, is it obvious when you've got a, a, a silica-related um, disease? Like, is it uh, – can people recognise that? Uh, not always. It, it's a really complex
1: area yeah. of medicine. Um, which is why we rely so heavily on on excellent experts to help us along with the cases. Um, mm. But in terms of where, where people come from, it's a really broad um, raft of situations. It it may be their GP or it may be a respiratory physician that's arranged a scan of their lungs, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, but particularly with people facing autoimmune conditions, because the understanding of the relationship between silica dust exposure and autoimmune conditions has Um, uh, gradually improved over time and and it's becoming more and more recognized it may not be that that particular group of um, treating doctors um, are aware of it um, Mm -hmm. or the GP might not be aware of it Um, so I think that's why it's so important to raise awareness about these um, these relationships and you know get out into the community and tell people that um, that these are preventable conditions. That, that it may be their work that's caused them. That they need to be careful about their environment. And and you know, number one, getting out of that environment if it is causing
0: health problems. Yeah, definitely. So, what what experts do you engage for these cases?
1: Yeah, it really depends on the. Um, uh, the person and their particular medical um, presentation, of course, um, but very commonly um, we will involve a respiratory physician, um, mm-hmm. as you can kind of, I guess, probably understand from the way I've talked about this uh, and the way these are linked with silicosis. That that is a lung condition of course, itself. Yeah. Um, so um, often people are uh, um, are facing multiple things at once um, and uh, the lung is usually a component. Um, even if, if someone presents without a diagnosis of something in their lungs, it's usually an area we'd like to check, um, given mm-hmm. the, the very um, strong association with silica dust exposure and damage to the lungs. So respiratory physicians are, are sort of a very common uh, expert that we engage and work really closely with. Mm. But particularly with autoimmune conditions, it's um, a rheumatological specialty. So we engage rheumatologists to provide expert opinions about autoimmune conditions. For any lung cancer cases or any, any cancerous conditions, we engage an oncologist um, who's a specialist in cancer treatment. And then more generally, um, you know, when you're always when you're looking at um, sort of workplace exposures, occupational physicians, industrial hygienists, epidemiologists, those sorts of experts are. Um, incredibly helpful to understand the full um, picture of what's been inhaled or what you've been exposed to and how that's impacting on your health.
0: Yeah okay so with these medical experts do you have any advice for them when working on these particular cases? I do such an amazing job, job Jeff we're so <laughs> lucky um, with
1: this group of um, these group of doctors take their um, their role so incredibly um, uh, seriously and uh, and pr- produce work that's just of the, the highest standards and I think we're so lucky in, uh, in Australia to have such um, such high standing experts in all of those fields to be able to support um, the court to understand the um, the, the, the ins and outs of a particular person's situation on the medical side. Um, I think that probably the, the one thing is, is, is sort of is being cognizant of this shift that's been happening about um, the interrelationship between silica dust exposure and non-lung health condition. Mm. Um, I think almost, you know, m- most experts are incredibly aware of this now. Um, but it may be that you're presented with someone that hasn't had the other diagnosis, that there's something else going on and being alive to those issues, I guess, is, is more, more the point. And then I think that the other thing I'd suggest is that um, is not to be hesitant if you think that um, if an expert faces a scenario where they think we really need to get a, a different um, specialty involved. Um, so it may be the respiratory physician flagging that, that a, a rheumatologist could answer a couple of extra questions on this person's case. Mm-hmm. Um, or an occupational physician or an industrial hygienist, I think that that really helps us as practitioners to see, um, you know, what the complexity is and who else can have um, input into a particular case is to have an expert flag up if that's necessary or needed. So they'd probably be my two tips, but I mean, I'm very hesitant to say anything because we're, we are um, so lucky that it's, it's very rare situation indeed where something comes across my desk but I just don't think, wow, what a, a, a great dedicated um, time-based report I've got here that, that covers all the issues in thorough detail. So we're, we're, pretty, we're pretty, pretty lucky in that regard.
0: Yeah. So with these cases, would you often engage a respiratory, a rheumatologist and potentially an OCHFIS? So you'd be getting quite a few experts engaged in these cases. Would that be right?
1: Yeah, that's right. And um, we often do because uh, there are different aspects of the medicine that have to be explored. um, And it's a really complex medical picture. Um, which makes it a complex legal picture. Um, So we we often do have multiple different um, specialties and multiple different expert reports involved in the case to support the legal arguments that we need to make.
0: Yeah, okay. So now that these diseases are proclaimed, does this affect what questions you're going to be asking the experts in your letter of instruction?
1: Um, It does to a certain degree, but Generally, well, certainly my approach is that um, it's still important to tease out all of the, the relevant issues involved in a, um, in a person's medical picture. And the Proclaimed Diseases is sort of uh, a little helpful push on step one um, in a claim, but it doesn't, it doesn't help us down the track with a common law negligence claim. Um, and it, uh, it doesn't sort of negate the need for an expert. It doesn't negate the need to have somebody comment on the particular person's. A medical picture and their work exposures um, and that, that relationship. So um, it changes the focus because essentially what it does is it reverses the owner. So they have to accept that it's related to work unless they have something to show that it's not, mm-hmm. um, which it would be very rare that they would. Um, so it means that I'm, I'm perhaps less um, concerned at the forefront or the, with the first report at um, the outset about that question. I'm expecting that it should be um, a pretty straightforward next step mm-hmm. but I still generally ask the full raft of, of information from my experts because I think it's really important to get someone involved at an early stage understand the medical issues the medical picture and the relationship between the work and the, and the disease so um, I, I change things a little bit but not that significantly.
0: Yeah okay and with your clients that are coming through, do you have to act quite quickly because, you know, you might be dealing with a client that has like a, a really severe case of lung cancer or, or have you had scenarios where, you know, they're quite far down the disease path and you have to act really quickly? Yeah, that's right, Jess. It's, um, we unfortunately face some really heartbreaking
1: situations with clients and mm. um, uh, in our silica related work as well as our asbestos related diseases work we're often meeting with people that are facing terminal diagnoses mm-hmm. that may be that it's you know, end stage silicosis facing a lung transplant or, or not a candidate for a lung transplant uh, or whether that's a lung cancer condition um, or an asbestos related disease like Um so part of our expertise and I think one of the reasons that I think it's really important to make sure you'll be if you're getting advice, you're with a lawyer that, that dedicates um, their, their focus to, to disease cases is because we do have to move really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's particular legal mechanisms that allow us to do that, but you've got to jump onto them quickly um, because, uh, you know, different entitlements uh, may not survive um, if someone passes away before the claim is finalised. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's some really important steps that have to be taken to, to ensure that there's no, no impact there. Um, and, and to, you know, ultimately we, we resolve um, our, everyone's case as best we can within their lifetime, um, which sometimes means, I think my record is 17 days from meeting someone to settling their case. So wow. um, that, that's, <laughs> it can, it's sort of, I would say, it's like a litigation on steroids, this area sometimes. You've
0: really got to, to push along very, very quickly to, to act in the best interest of your clients. Yeah, so I'm guessing this is going to be uh, one of my last questions was what are some of the challenges when working on these cases? I'm guessing this is one of them. <laughs> yeah,
1: that is one <laughs> of them, I think. Yeah, um, it is. Uh, that is a challenge but it's, it's a real, um, it's, it's very rewarding to be able to help someone in a situation um, that feels hopeless um, to, to give them a pathway and, a, and an action. To, to get something that they, you know, really in, are entitled to, it's, it's heartbreaking, but it gives um, gives me great reward to be able to achieve outcomes for people in that scenario. Mm. Um, uh, in terms of other challenges, but I think that you know, we I think hopefully we've sort of touched on that um, by looking today at some of the medicine involved. It's really complex medicine, and is something that really requires a dedicated understanding of the interrelationship between all these diseases and the exposures, good relationships with, um, with our experts um, so that we can ensure that we understand if something novel or, or rare comes up. Some of these conditions are really rare. Um, you know, Other autoimmune conditions that have been caused by occupational exposures include really rare. I had a case for for a man down in um, – that worked on the Morwell Hazelwood Fire mm-hmm. um, who, who got a, an autoimmune condition. Um, but it can also be, you know, rheumatoid arthritis or my colleague um, got a claim accepted for a man with lupus last week. These are not common conditions. So mm. someone that – one of the challenges I think is, is making sure you're across all the potential links between silica dust exposure and the medical picture yeah. so that you can, you know – Make sure you're, you're engaging the right expert, um, having the right discussions, understanding the right side of the medicine to be able to really push things along for your client. Yep.
0: Yeah. And do you have? So I actually had a guest on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and they were talking about generalist versus experts in terms of the specialties. So, for instance, obviously you can get engage a respiratory physician um, that does all mm-hmm. respiratory related. Um, matters, but do you have particular experts that really specialize and have seen a lot of patients before with these silica diseases?
1: Yeah, I think it is mainly it is a group of respiratory physicians, so that are experts, but also treating doctors that see a lot. I see a lot of these patients as um, their own patients, but also in a medical legal or expert capacity. So there is a sub sort of specialty I think going on there. Um, But the medical specialty is is respiratory, Mm -hmm. Um, I would suggest. Yeah. Yep. Um, I think that when when I think about it in terms of a generalist type scenario, I think an occupational position is probably more general. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are, I guess, at that group of respiratory positions, I really almost think of them as occupational lung specialists.
0: Yeah, um, okay.
1: you know, it's sort of. If you want to, the specialty, I think there is probably that they're fo- very focused on occupational lung diseases and see a lot of people with occupational lung diseases. Um, an occupational physician is probably a more general approach, um, but I think you know we're really lucky with, with as I mentioned, a group of um, very well placed respiratory physicians in Victoria who um, who see a lot of patients in this area um, and are really well placed to to provide really detailed and well-informed reports that have been um, well-respected by the courts in the past.
0: Yeah, okay. So when when engaging these experts, so some sort of final advice when um, that you could maybe pass forward onto them, would you say that because of the nature of these diseases that they should treat most of these referrals from you as quite urgent because you could be dealing with someone that potentially is about to lose their life that's a good question and one of the questions
1: we, i almost always ask the expert is what their opinion is about our, our client's prognosis mm. um so depending on the stage of the claim we might be doing a little bit of a circle there where i'm trying to find out from them yeah, whether it's urgent, okay. yep. uh, at the same time that they're trying to work out whether they need to get the report to me urgently
0: so yeah. so it's actually um, I think not that, in that, that obvious in that regard, when you meet your client is that right
1: it might not. It might not be. Yeah, it wow. might, I mean, okay. obviously, if someone has, if someone's just been diagnosed with lung cancer and is having chemotherapy, then it's going to be a little bit more obvious. That if someone's quite breathless from a silicosis condition, mm-hmm. um, that we're not really, maybe not fully aware of how fast it's progressing, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I think in that regard, if there's any, if you've got any concerns or if you think that you know something comes across the desk um, as an expert and you think, oh, this looks like it's um, been a few weeks in the making or the, um, the appointment to actually meet the person's not going to be for a little while, um, I would suggest pick up the phone in that scenario um, yeah. and just say, look, I'm really, I'm actually a bit worried about, the time frames here having mm-hmm. just received some of the background information um i think that that's a really good idea because uh, as you say it can it might be more urgent than your instructing solicitor has appreciated and then the flip side is of that is i suggest to practitioners and i certainly try to give some guidance to experts about urgency um so giving a sense in the Um, in the letter of instruction about how quickly you need the report back can be really useful for the expert Mm. to be able to manage their priorities um, because, of course, what this means is if you're working um, in a busy practice doing these sorts of reports quite frequently, you can't have every single one be needed to be turned around straight away or will will create a situation that that doesn't help but hinders. Mm. Um, So, you know, being able to flag up um, the reports that are perhaps you know, not as urgent um, is is helpful, I think, for experts to prioritize. But I think similarly, you know, if if an expert's facing a couple of really urgent situations at the same time, then again, picking up the phone and saying, this might be a couple of weeks, is that okay? Um, Or do you have any concerns that I need to be aware of to to look at this sooner or not?
0: Yes. Yeah, great. Well, this has been very insightful, Leah. Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. That's my absolute pleasure, Jeff. I think um, we're really excited about the focus that silica-related
1: diseases are getting because it's such Mm. a a troubling area and one that um, that we're so dedicated to making sure people get proper entitlements through.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much and um, you have a lovely day. Thank you. You too, Jeff. Thanks, Leah. Bye.